Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Elkhan, and Dennis Dick. I have been looking forward to today for more reasons than one. Uh, it is not every day that the majority of the people on this show uh, get openly crushed on a position. So here's what I'm going to say. If you are with me in SoFi, if you are with Dennis in Fisker, if you have your own big loser, listen up. Listen up. We are going to talk about what you do when you get smacked around hard, as is happening to both of us this morning, um, and rules that we live by to avoid blowing up. That's the theme of today's show. We got a lot of earnings. We got, I mentioned SoFi, Disney, blew it away to my surprise, to be honest with you, uh, Airbnb. A lot going on today. Ivan Fine Seth is our guest. Drop us a like. Reminder, link to the Saturday Pre-Market Prep Special. Next Saturday is in the description. Check it out. Click it down there. Uh, Joel, bring up your charts if you can, please, and let's get to the overall market. And then we will get to the theme of the day, which is, again, how to survive when you're getting punished out there. Joel, good morning. Good morning, Spencer. Good morning, uh, traders and investors. Uh, kind of a quiet session. Uh, we have the futures uh, trading up a buck and a quarter. Uh, nine point range. Not much to say. No downside till we take out the pre market low. Uh, the old time high, forty four fifty nine seventy five. Uh, if we're going to expand on the upside, first things first. Let's take that out. Um, I decided to look at the ETFs today because I don't know how many commodity traders we have. So it's my first time looking at uh, the USO. Uh, just uh, We'll try this for today. USO trading up a nickel, 48.15. GLD trading up 60 cents at 164.64. Uh, the SLV trading up 20 cents at 21.70. Bitcoin bounces right back. That's up nearly two thousand dollars at forty six three sixty, and Ethereum's bouncing back nicely too. Uh, that's up one hundred eighty three dollars at thirty two forty three in a quarter. So I guess I missed the first part of uh, the pre pre market show when you guys were talking about positions and position management. Uh, so Dennis, I know you. Um, you know, you're something that's really on your mind here. So let's cover it. Let's uh, let's talk to people about these markets and risk management. I mean, we always talk, you know, strategy. We always talk about, you know, what we like, you know, technicals, fundamentals, different, you know, stuff. And we're going to talk all that, you know, on the 21st when we do our webinar. But I think we need to just go back to the basics because we have so many new traders, so many traders who have just started in the last six months to a year. And, you know, a lot of these traders don't have any, you know, formal trading education. I mean, you know, we were prop traders. You know, you were on the floor, Joel. I mean, we were taught, mentored from a lot of different traders that have been in the business for a long time. So I think it's important to just go back to the basics. So that's what we're going to do in the next 10 minutes or so is kind of take you back to the basics. The reason for this is I'm seeing messages on Twitter, and you make a good point. A lot of people on Twitter are probably just making stuff up. You know, a lot of it might not even be true. But I'm seeing multiple people talk about like stocks like amc and they're saying they've put their entire retirement account in it i don't know if that's true but if you're 65 years old and you've worked your whole life and you're taking your retirement money and putting into amc you're asking for a lot of trouble yes maybe amc goes to 100 yes maybe it goes to the moon that might happen but what if it doesn't what if it does go back to $10? What if it does reconnect with fundamentals? What if it doesn't go to the moon? Are you prepared to lose your savings? Are you prepared to lose what you have in that stock? Whenever I enter any stock position, I have in the back of my mind knowing that that stock position could go to zero. It could. 
Is Apple likely to go to zero? Probably not. Could it? Anything is possible. So I always consider, you know, when I'm looking, the one key that I'm doing in all of my trading and all of my investing is I always stay diversified. You can make speculative bets in AMC. You can make speculative bets in the stock like Wish that everybody's talking about today. But if you're putting all of your eggs in one basket and putting 100% or even more on margin on one stock, that's a recipe for disaster. Because what can happen is stock could get randomly halted, even during intraday, come out with random news, gap down on you, 50%. So let's say I have a stop loss, you know, and I've got a mental stop loss. I'm going to sell this at, you know, 10% down and, you know, I'm going to get out. So I'll be okay. I'm only going to, I only have the potential to lose 10%. But if a stock gets randomly halted and falls 50% on you, you don't just lose your 10%. You lose 50%. Not saying that's going to happen. It's happened to me twice in my trading career intraday, where I have actually been in a stock that was intraday trading and got halted and then had a move, halted for news, and then had a significant move in one direction or another. It happened to me once. I was short a stock and it got taken over and the stock went up 80%. I lost 80% on that trade, um, which is, you know, I was probably in the trade for 1% or 2%. It's just bad luck. But how I survived, that actually worked out to only two days of earnings for me. One, I was diversified, didn't have all the eggs in one basket. And two, I ate the loss. I just, I just eat it. You know, it's done. That was my out. It, I was only planning on losing 1% or 2%. I lose 80%. The stock got taken over. Nothing sure. can do. It's bad luck. But you've got to be prepared that the worst can happen. So when I'm reading about people putting their entire retirement account in stock like AMC, I'm just scared for people out there. I don't want somebody to you know, be on the wrong side and lose a lot of money. Yes, AMC might go to $100. Yes, AMC might go to $200. But it might go back to a buck. It's possible. So just keep that in mind. If you want to make a speculative bet on it, go nuts. But if you're putting your entire retirement account in it, that's scary. Yeah, and it, if it goes for Wish, it goes for Fisker. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm in and so I want to bring it to Fisker in a second. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know what? You know what lets me sleep at night is is I know that my SoFi position is like two percent of my portfolio. There you go. Like that helps me sleep. And, uh, it helps you so much. Yeah, I and ter- I, it's less now. Let's be honest, <laughs> but it was two percent. Terrible call by me on Fisker yesterday. People are saying Fisker is a speculative bet. You can bet. I just got done saying, let's rewind the tape to one minute ago. You can make speculative bets in this market. And Fisker is definitely a speculative bet. It's still pre-revenue. So it's a definitely a speculative bet. How much of my net worth? I said it yesterday. I put 1%. Not even 1%. I probably was a half a percent actually. But I'll go up to 1% or 2% if I'm really convicted. So, you know, on Apple, I'm like 3 or 4% of my net worth is an Apple. It's just grown so much in my portfolio. I've, I've trimmed it, but it just continues to grow. And, you know, and then you trim it again. But, um, you know, putting, you know, I, I couldn't have timed it worse. I mean, I, I broke some old, other fundamental trading rules, too. One, I was trying to catch a falling knife. You had the convert offering out there. It wasn't totally priced in yet. I'm trying to be a hero and thinking, okay, they've knocked it down a buck. That's what it's worth. Trying to be a hero. So trying to catch the falling knife. Eh, wrong. Stock continued down another two points. So I bought this at 1730. It's now 1520. And one day I just lost 20% or 15% of my money. But you know what? In the big scheme of things, it's it's not much at all. Because one, I stayed small. I'm diversified. Terrible call. Couldn't make a worse trade than that, losing 15% in a day. It's a terrible trade. But as long as you're staying diversified. And two, I don't intend to add to the loser. Sometimes when I come with a half-size position and it kind of was a smaller position, I might add some. But for the most part, I do not add to losers. It's a loser. It's a loser. I don't need to add to my pain. Because you know what happens when you add to a loser? That's how small losers become big losers. So sometimes they come back, you know, and we can go into, you know, a story of another trader at Bright Trading in a second. But I want to get your thoughts here too, Joel. I think you agree with me on some of these fundamental, like, rules about diversification, not only in investing, but in trading, and then two is, um, you know, risk management and, you know, and just not just saying, okay, well, you know, it's, it's, it's fell and I've got to buy more to get my average cost down. I mean, these are fundamental rules of, of, of long-term traders that are being broken here by a lot of people. And you're seeing it today in Wish, um, where the stock is down 25% on a bad earnings report and people are just 
adding more, adding more, trying to bring that cost down. And you know, maybe Wish comes back. Maybe it becomes a $10 stock or a $15 stock or $20 stock again. But maybe it doesn't. So I think you just got to be prepared for the worst always. So, Joel, I want to throw yeah, some, what are your uh, thoughts here. You, you touched on so many different things here. Um, you know, first of all, for um, long-term investing, I mean, you know, in your, your larger accounts, I mean, diversification is the only way that you're going to survive. And, you know, chances are when if you do something, if you do put on a big position in something, you know what? Chances are you may be right, but your timing may be off. And if you have such a large position, and this could be either in your own portfolio or day trading, that you're not thinking like clearly. You're not, you know, you because you're so jaded. So even like when the opportunity comes, maybe to exit or you know, your original target, you don't you don't take it and and you're greedy. So it's it's really the mindset of when you have, you know, in your overall portfolio. I mean, there's I mean, if the market went to you know, 2000 FSP went to 2000 tomorrow. Well, yeah, I would take a huge haircut, you know, across the board. Uh, that's much different, but you know, for day and I, I'm Dennis, I'm also a little bit more skeptical than you are of, of the social media and the Twitter. And, you know, I, it's just bots out there that maybe don't have a position at all that want to see what Dennis and Joel and Spencer are thinking. So I know that I know there are people doing that and we discourage it. I just think that with this whole social media trading, there's just so much pumping and dumping and algorithms trying to it's figure out what the book. I mean, this is what people, you know, and we all talk or book to a certain extent. But there is so much pumping and dumping on in social media where you literally have people like and, and Reddit is trying to fix that problem and, and credit to Reddit and credit <laughs> to Wall Street bats that they're moderating this now because they're just trying somebody will buy a big position of stock and they're, they're trying to get it to get hot on Reddit so that their stock will go up, you know, and they're trying to promote it. It's just like blatant stock promotion. And this is. is where social media has really, you know, caused you always saw stock promotion via email newsletters and this and that where you've got you know and the, and the way these pump and dump works um you know and you know i think they're just pure evil i think these people that are doing this kind of stuff are just evil but the way that they work is they'll load up a stock and then they pump it out to all their you know followers or whatever yep. and then they sell into that now you know there's a lot of people who talk their book and they're not actively selling into that so it's not a pump and dump they're not dumping but I mean, there is a lot. There is a lot of people out there doing this type of stuff, and this is actually illegal. You know, this is stuff that regulators look for. So there was somebody charged. We talked about it six or nine months ago on Twitter that was actively saying, "Oh yeah, buy this stock," and then he was selling it at the same time he's telling other people to buy it. That's you know illegal. But I mean, this is you know goes into another thing that you were saying, Spencer. I mean, just blindly following Twitter gurus or blindly following people into um you know their trades blindly copying other trades is is difficult as well you've got to do your own due diligence you got to do your homework you know people who are blindly following me into fisker yesterday at 17 they're immediately down to 15 you know they didn't do well with that you know and i tweeted it out i I said i added to the long-term account i don't intend to sell those shares but you know i think there is fundamental value here i agree with morgan stanley but that doesn't mean my timing is going to be right my timing couldn't have been worse yesterday so, I mean, you've got to do your own due diligence. You've got to do your homework. And you just can't blindly follow people in the trades. I mean, it, that's what we try to do on this show is try to educate, not just give out, oh, what do you like? What do you think of this stock? I want to buy this stock. I mean, we're trying to give some stock opinions, but we're trying to educate so you guys can become better traders and make those decisions on your own. Yeah, because you can't be there sitting there pushing the buttons, you know, every single thing. Different. I mean, uh, a lot of Dennis's positions are, are hedged, too. You know, so there's, you know, different factors that he's that he's looking at. But uh, no, I mean, you're making a, a great point there. And I think that's another thing where on our show, like who do, who do we have? We don't know our audience well enough. You know, do we have, you know, scalpers? Do we have, uh, uh, you know, swing traders? Do we have long term investors? Uh, and, you know, do we have, uh, you know, a couple hundred guys in here from Wall Street Bats that are taking the information and then, you know, using it? I, I'll just say one thing. I um, There was one trader that reached out to me and I've been keeping in contact with him and some of the stuff. And 
what, when I talked to him, what he wanted was, you know, he's made some money in the market. He started listening to us the panda- during the pandemic, but what he was more, he, he, on the days he get killed, he goes, I just want to get killed less. You know, I have these games and things yeah. like what things do you want to, he didn't, he, you know, he has his own strategies, his own things that he does, but he was just like, he just wanted to avoid getting killed. He, Sorry. Sorry. And I, I, you know what, I, that was, you know, it's a pretty, you know, we, we talk about some different things. He trades some speculative stocks and everything, but he also had some goals with his account when, when he originally opened up the account during the uh, pandemic, he met his goal with that account. And he took some chips off. He took the chips off the table. The market did go higher, but he had set a goal with the money, with the capital that he put aside. So there's a lot of different things that, that you can do. Uh, but, you know, think, and what Dennis is doing, he's, he's talking about, you know, your own due diligence, entering trades and having parameters. And, and we could we could talk parameters. about that more. Yeah, risk I mean, parameters. I mean, you're, you're making such a good point. And I'll tell you today how you can get killed less. Those two rules that, you know, I just tweeted out as well. Diversification in your trading portfolio and not adding to losers. That will get you killed less in your overall account. You're going to have drawdowns on individual stocks. Don't kid yourself. Like that stock that I got taken over on me and I was up 80%. But imagine if I'm short a stock and I got 100% of my money in there. I just lost 80% of my money. I don't want that to happen. I want my account to build over time. And I mean, it's all about... You know, some of you are trying to get rich fast and they're going lottery tickets on AMC stock. And if you just want to throw your lottery money into something, that's one thing. It's another, quite another thing to take all the all the money you've earned over the course of your working career and then dump it all into AMC stock because somebody on Twitter said it was going to the moon. I mean, that's another thing. So you've got to use, you know, you've, you've got to use some type of risk management in everything that you do. But, you know, just to review diversification is key and not adding to losers. And I do want to tell a story about a trader um, that we had at at Bright um, that would add to losers consistently. And it was amazing. Like for years, this trader lasted years doing this stuff. Um, You know, like would start with a couple hundred shares. If it went down, they'd buy another 200 and the stock would come back and then you'd get their money back. If they bought 200 shares and it went to 400, then it'd go down a little bit more, they'd buy 800 shares then. And you know what? It would come back and they'd get their money back. And I was like, this trader never loses. I mean, he just comes back and he gets his money back and he gets his money back. And I was like, it's amazing that, you know, again and again and again, just by doubling down and doubling down, he continues to get his money back. But one trade, one trade eventually did not come back. And that trader blew out their account. So eventually it does get you. That strategy of doubling down, doubling down, doubling down inevitably inevitably ends badly because you'll eventually get in the one that doesn't come back. And if you're doubling down, doubling down, all of a sudden you're all in on one stock. You might just have picked that stock that isn't going to come back. It'll raise your winning percentage by adding to losers, but... It's the problem is all those winners, you know, are getting your money back is not going to make up for that huge loss that you're going to endure even inevitably with that strategy. So that's why in my trading account, especially, I never add to losers. Never, 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 never. Key, key word there is that I thought was in my trading account. These are different, you know, we talk about trading versus investing or different things. We're not I'm, saying. I'm, I'm going to argue with you and say no. I rarely in my investing account add to losers too. Because if I'm adding to losers, I'm, my thesis is probably wrong. I mean, if you're coming in with 10%. Okay. So if you, you're right. If you're coming in with your just your 10% of your position, I'm going to buy this nine times like a Kathy Wood style. Yeah, that I was I'm okay with that. it. Yes. I'm okay with it then. But if you're coming all in and saying I'm long term. I can know to put a double size position because I know in the long term it's going to come back. I wouldn't do it that way. So I would say you can be correct if you started your position with like a half size or a quarter size and Kramer says that. I, I'll give you that. Is that what you were going to say, Spencer? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, one of the things is like, you know, there's no rule that applies universally all the time. Right. So I'm just trying to like hedge a little bit and, you know, I'm not, not saying never, ever. I mean, you, you might never, ever, ever add to a loser. That, 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 that's uh, fine. You know, I'm, I'm just saying for, you know, I support Spencer in that a little bit. I mean, I do agree that a lot of the times you don't want to do that, but um, if you have some cash in your account saved for moments like this, 
Um, that's what I necessarily try to have at least some, some margin uh, available to me if I need it. Well, um, I, I always I, try to keep some cash. I, I do like what Dennis said. You well, that's know, diversification. Too, I, 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 I do like what cash Dennis is... said. If the plan is I'm going to yeah. buy this, I'm going to buy it once a month until it's until I've got ten grand invested. Then, then that's a plan. Then fine, right? Yeah. That at least that's a plan. But if the plan is panic buying, because to bring your cost basis down, right? Then that's not. That's yeah. not a plan. And, and, that, we- and that's a trouble. And I mean, people think, oh, yeah, you, they got to be right 100% of the time. What about the Renaissance quant fund? You know, it wasn't wasn't Simmons' winning percentage something like 51 or 52%? And you read the book. I never heard you gave it yeah, to me. Yeah, I, I can't. Wasn't, wasn't it like Spencer? Wasn't it like 51 yeah. shot? Help me out yeah. here. His yeah. winning percentage was not was, like 80% or 70%. It was like low 50%. Low 50%, like yeah. 51. Imagine... And, and Simmons he, puts, and he puts like all of his eggs in one basket, and he's you know wrong forty nine percent of the time. He didn't make all this money by staying you know on put going all in on a stock. He made all this money by diversification. You know, having core strategies and doing them again and again. And that's why my bright trading account it's very diversified. On any given night, I might make a hundred different trades, and I've got all different trades on. Like overnight, I'm light. It was a very slow night. It was one of the slowest nights of the year. I have 34 overnight positions, though. So, I mean, I'm very, fairly diversified. All of there are, are fairly small bets, you know, 1%, 2%. Like people are saying, oh, you can go 100% in your trading account. But you can't because if you're doing that, you might run into that moment where your stock gets halted, random bad news, and it gets you. And like I said, that's happened to me twice in my trading career. It can happen. Over 20 years, it only happened twice where I've been randomly halted. Like I've been through halts that I knew like earnings were coming or something like that. But, you know, where randomly I'm just in a stock for a day trade and all of a sudden it just randomly gets halted out of the blue. Um, random news. That can happen too. So I just want people to be approaching this, you know, with at least the basic rules that, you know, govern successful traders, at least from the traders that I've, you know, taught and the traders that I've, you know, traded with over the years. Because I think if you're sitting here and you're always going to, you know, be adding to, um, you know, your losers. And I, I, you're going to see your win percentage go up, but you're not going to necessarily see your P&L go up because those loser, losing trades are just going to be enormous. So last, last night, I'm sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, I was just, uh, I, I was just going to say we, it, we, we've had this discussion with Sean Udall too. And, you know, he has approach with the longer term approach. I mean, when he looks at a stock, I mean, he's looking at an area and he puts, you know, his tranches and, you know, he uses his technicals to, you know, and, and he does get stuck with stuff. But like when he goes into a stock, it's not, you know, he'll yeah, go he, 10, he's 20. going with partial positions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Kathy it, Wood style. Exactly. I'm going to buy be, a piece. I'm going to buy right. another piece. I'm not, he's not going all in with you exactly. know, if he wanted 100 grand or 200 grand in the stock. He's not going 200,000 exactly. in, and now I'm going 200,000. But my, so maybe we should just take it to numbers just to clearly explain it. Sure. Let's say you want to put $100,000 into a stock. You could go the Spencer Israel approach and say, I'm going to buy 10, I'm going to buy another 10. I'm going to average myself, dollar cost average myself into this position. That's quite all right. But if you're going in and say, I want 100,000 in the stock, and you put 100,000 in in one shot, which, you know, which I do sometimes, but, you know, if it comes down and goes down 10%, I don't put another 100,000 in because that wasn't my plan. It was my plan to have 200000 in the stock. It was my plan to have $300,000 in the stock. It was my plan to have my entire trading account in this one stock that yeah. continues to go down on me. Those are recipes for disaster. So we just want to stay diversified and we want to stay, you know, um, in, you know, and with the lose, adding to the losers, you want to stick to your plan. So, you know, I'm fine with adding to losers if that was part of your original plan that I'm going 10%, 10%, 10%. But don't adjust your plan and say, well, I got a little bit more money. I can afford to put more in this loser to try to bring my cost basis down. I mean, the mental capital too, Joel, which yeah, we didn't talk excellent, about. Excellent, excellent, yeah. That just murders you. Like if you've got this one position that's just weighing on you, weighing on you, it's going to affect everything else that you're doing. I mean, when you've got 1% of your net worth in a stock, it doesn't even, it goes down 50%. You only lost 0.5% of your net worth. It doesn't even really bother you that much. So it keeps your mental capital fresh. So you yeah. get into the next idea. And what Mitch was talking about, having cash on the sidelines, that's diversification in itself and having a new fresh idea, new capital to work for the new idea. I always have, you know, I always want, you know, 
to be able to, you know, buy stocks too. And I always have a chunk in cash just in case, you know, we have, and even in the long term of portfolio, I have a chunk in cash. Trading and investing are two separate animals, but a lot of the rules can govern both. Uh, Esther put a bow on this. She said, bag holding was a huge problem of mine until I realized that it wasn't worth the psychological effect and not to mention the opportunity cost missed out while being in a bad trade. I think Mm -hmm. that that really, really puts a bow on it. If I can just, Bagwell has like a practical question here. So if in my day trading account, I, I got caught and I'm down, would the play be to slowly sell off as the price comes back to the stock, assuming it does, and space out the pain and possibly watch it gain more, hypothetically? So what do you do? Well, I know what you do, but like uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't let yourself have a big loser in the trading account. But no, um, it wouldn't happen. I, I, guess, I guess that's the answer to the question. But like, let's say you, for whatever reason, you, you broke your own rule. You have, you have a 10% loser in the trading account or 15% loser in the trading account. What, what do you do then? I uh, see you got to have your contingency plan when first. You enter. So, yeah, first. So, I know where my out is. When I'm scalping and day trading, I want immediate gratification. If I'm entering something on a catalyst on a news headline, it I've got an help. opinion on that news headline that is telling me it's bullish or bearish. So, I'm going to short if I feel like it's bearish, I'm going to buy it if I feel like it's bullish. If it starts going the wrong way, it's telling me that I'm, you know, it's telling me immediately that I've interpreted the headline wrong. So I'm gonna do everything in my power to minimize the damage from that position. Basically, you know, when you have 50 or 100 over in trading positions or day trading positions on, uh, all, all my job is people say, often say to me, you know, how do you manage 100 trades or how do you manage 200 trades? I just trade the open and sometimes I can fill on 200 stocks. All of a sudden, zero to 200 stocks. What do you do? What do you do when you all of a sudden just bought 200 stocks? You think I can humanly manage 200 positions? The first thing I do is I look at my net exposure because I'm so big at that point in time that I'm probably linked very close to the overall market. So all of a sudden I buy 200 stocks. Am I long or short? Am I long? If I'm long $2 million worth of stocks, I'm probably going to go out and short $2 million worth of SPY. Because um, I want in, in that position, I trade market neutral. So I'm always trying to stay somewhat hedged to try to reduce market risk as much as I can. But the first thing I'm going to do is once I'm hedged, okay, I've reduced my market exposure. If I wanted $2 million worth of longs, that's different. But I might have been in, you know, just playing the opens and stocks open too low relative to where the S&P is. So I'm trying to extract the alpha from that inefficiency. So if my stocks open here and the market opens here, I want to extract this alpha. Well, you know, you could just buy here and say, yeah, the stock's going to come back up. But what if it goes the other way and the market comes back down? Then obviously I'm not going to make money and possibly lose money. So one, you've got to know what you want your exposure to be. So I might hedge over the overall exposure. But then two, I go into risk management. I manage out of the losers. Winners are looking after themselves. Stocks working my way. I can let that, you know, go. But I see stocks. Okay, this one's ugly. I got to work out of this one. And I'm trying to manage the risk and trying to work out of my losers as best I can. It's always the losers that I focus on first. Take care of them. Winners take care of themselves. Okay. Uh, yeah, all right. All right. Let, let, let's talk. It's eight thirty. We have Ivan Fine Seth on in five minutes. So let's talk um, one individual stock if we can today. Uh, yep. Get to one. I mean, we'll, we'll get to more than one. Uh, sure. let, let's start with. Let's just start with Disney. Okay. Joel For and sure. I. Joel and I probably <laughs> couldn't have been more wrong. Could we have yep. been wrong? It's wrong day. We're all wrong today. Um, <laughs> it's Friday the thirteenth, man. We should I just turn the show. Why didn't you tell me that yesterday? Yes, I went to trade it. It's all Spencer's fault. It's Friday 13th. You know what? I'm disabling all my accounts today. No, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I'm I'm not mad that I'm wrong because you guys know that I'm I'm long Disney forever. But but I thought there is there's probably I no way I'm talking about there's no way that Disney can come out and say that they're that they're there's a Disney Plus subscribers. That's what I said. Growth is growing, and that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Disney Plus subscribers somehow came in above. Wall Street's estimates, 116 million is what they reported last quarter. It's not even that number that's so, that's so important. It's the fact that the growth rate from Q2 to Q3 was greater than the growth rate from Q1 yeah. to Q2. So the growth rate is increasing. If you recall, way back when they launched Disney yep. Plus, as we were reopening a bit too, I, which I know. is even more I, impressive. I know. So if you if you if you recall when they launched Disney Plus what, what, three years ago or whatever, two years ago, they said in five years, we think we can have 60 to 90 million subscribers. In five years, they said that. 
They're already at 116. Okay? They they have blown those initial estimates yeah. out of the water. This is and it's not universal. Hulu is is has is on a three quarter streak of losing losing subscribers. So you know it's not universal to the whole company. But it, Disney Plus is just a monster. It is a monster monster service. Um, on top of that, you know the parks are opening up. They were you know return to prob- the whole thing. Right? I mean, it was a great great report. That's all you can say about it. It's the ultimate reopening play, but it has the like the whole they're hedged to a certain extent. Just as we got done talking about being hedged, Disney Plus hedges them to a certain extent with COVID too. That's why the stock, you know, has obviously, you know, come back to make new all-time highs just a while ago. So I I, I still I don't own the stock. I still want to own the stock. I've wanted to own the stock for a while. The the whole Delta thing has spooked me on this. Maybe a mistake. You know, it got down and we were saying the major support at 170. Probably should have struck at 172, 173. I did not. Uh, but I mean, this is a stock that's, you know, you think about eventually we'll have an awesome reopening. I'm scared on the parks. I'm scared of what's happening in Florida. It makes me hesitant to just come in and buy Disney, but they do have Disney Plus. So you still are getting, you know, obviously, you know, that Netflix type of business within this. But, you know, you think about if we get to full reopening, then they have everything working for them. So I can see a scenario once we do get past COVID where Disney could be a $250 stock. I can totally see that scenario. So do I want to own Disney? Yes. I think the timing of it isn't today. I don't like buying reps. And two, I'm still concerned about the Florida Delta uh, situation. So that makes me, you know, not strike right now. But on pullbacks here and this COVID situation starts to look better, which hopefully it's going to soon, I'd own Disney. Yeah, I'm looking at the pop here, and maybe you'll see this level again. Uh, 189.88 is your pre-market high. Uh, You've rich, uh, actually. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming, I wish I'd used Indeed. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility all at Indeed.com slash P-R-E-P. Just go to Indeed.com slash P-R-E-P right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash P-R-E-P. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. After hours high, you've leaked $2 from there. So... I- you know, that will be a good target if you think. I don't know. I just look at this, the big move, the way it's traded. I just think this 190 to 192 area, I mean, yeah, you can buy it here at 187.50, but I don't know where my out is. Like, if I want to sell this at 190, let's say I want to buy it at 190. I buy it at 187.50. You know, I could put a buck and a quarter stop out there or something, but I have no idea where to buy this stock. If I was long it, I, and I wanted to exit today or I had some juicy options, I would say, man, get up. I'd love to see that pre-market high. I'd love to see it. There's got to be a ton of paper at 192. I'm sure you can't oh, even that looks see that. I might be, yeah. I might you be think you could see I'm 190? I'm going to the book. And then right they got to sweep the book all the way from one. I mean, it's traded a ton of stock, right? But, ah, man, just thinking oh, what's in the, My book doesn't go quite deep enough. No. It's only it's traded three hundred sixty thousand. I don't know how much it traded last 421 night. Four twenty one now. What? Four hundred twenty one thousand now. Yeah. Okay. Your Crazy volume must volume. be. Yeah. So that's a lot of volume, but man, 
what can you see in the book? I mean, there's got to be stuff between. There's got to be some. Oh, paper. it's littered everywhere. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's littered everywhere. Nothing what major, is- though. Not major. Like you're seeing five thousand here, five thousand here. It all adds up to a certain extent. It can right. open up. I don't challenge it can open up at one eighty-seven. This is Disney. Yep. You know, it has been trading up there for a bit. I think you're right with the one ninety number. I'd imagine there is some big size. I think it'll struggle there. So. Do I want to buy it at 187.50 with upside of one to one nine? It's only two and a half <laughs> up. So that's where, again, you know, I always, you know, tend to sell the rip anyways. But in this case, I'd want a little more room to go. And, you know, if it was 183, maybe like, yeah, you got seven points upside to 190. Well, I only see two and a half points of upside to 190 here now, which makes me it's, less inclined to buy yeah, exactly. the rip. But there's room to 190. I would probably be looking to short the stock if it got up to the 190 or if take out 190. Then it'd be a different game because they take out 190, then you start thinking 195. Think about the big hole numbers. That's, yeah, that's a big one fall. But uh, okay, House of Mouse, uh, uh, picking wild. up those subscribers. And Mitch made a good point. You know, to go to the movies, if there's a movie theater out there and there's something open, you got four or five kids. Well, you don't have to pay for popcorn, but you pay 10 bucks for a Coke. Uh, you know, that, you know, 50, a hundred bucks, you can get, uh, the, the same thing at home and the pay-per-view. I mean, folks, this is the way everything's going. The second game of the Notre Dame Toledo, uh, the second game in Notre Dame season. Yeah. And so it's, they're going pay-per-view. Everything yeah. is going pay-per-view. It, it's and going this is ahead of it. This I, is ahead of it. Yeah, Joel, e- we didn't mention ESPN plus ESPN plus had, uh, 14.9 million subscribers, uh, as, as of the end of, uh, last quarter. Yeah. Up, that's up. Almost what is that like ninety percent year over year? I mean, it's up from eight point five million last year. So yeah, that's like ninety percent something like that. So, so I mean, just the future of sports is streaming, and um, I don't know what sure. you stream sports. And they, 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 you know, they lock up everybody. I guess they have a you know agreement with the. I mean, they, they yeah. you know, uh, they, we forget about it. You know, um, uh, uh, ESPN. You know the old. The old Cap uh, Cities. Remember that, Dennis? Or you might have still been in high school. When I, it was, I, uh, I know about Capital Cities. Capital Cities, man. That's dating yourself for. again once, Joel. <laughs> we got to get Ivan. Just... I, I read the ESPN book. I know about Capital Cities. Okay, let's move on. Let's bring on our guest here, Ivan Feinseth from Tigers Financial Partners. He's their CIO. Ivan, do you have thoughts on this Disney report? I think you do. I bet you Absolutely. Do. Yeah, what do you think? I'm a fan of Disney Plus. I was lucky enough in April of 2019 to go to the launch event in Burbank where they first introduced the concept of Disney Plus and John Favreau came out to talk about The Mandalorian. And the minute I heard about The Mandalorian, I said, this is going to be a winner. Just to say his description was, after the fall of the Empire, a lone gunman makes his way across a lawless galaxy. I mean, need I say more? And I believe that The Mandalorian has been the major catalyst in driving subscriptions. They also have Mandalorian season three coming in December, and they have five other Disney shows. I mean, Star Wars content spin-off shows coming to Disney Plus. You know what's interesting though? This has been our biggest criticism and it's not just from us. I think I've heard it elsewhere as well. Was you know when you stack up the amount of new content, the 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 prestige content on Disney Plus compared to Netflix, HBO, there's a lot less of it. But but Mitch Brader brought up a good point is Disney's got the mo- exclusive movies that no they one have. else has. Well, they, content is king and Disney's the king of content. Look there I could everybody has favorite shows on Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime, I can tell you a ton. Yeah. But unfortunately, we don't have time to watch it all and no. you pick and choose. And you really talk about the break. I went, by the way, The Mandalorian got 24 Emmy nominations um, a few, about a month ago. Uh, the show's incredible. The Book of Boba Fett's coming. You know, it had, there's something for everyone. And I have said from the beginning, even Bob Iger said he didn't believe that The Mandalorian was going to be as credible, incredible as it was. From the minute I heard about it, I said, that's going to be a huge winner, a big driver in and of itself. But um, I said when Disney announced the launch of Disney Plus, I said they are going to out Netflix, Netflix. They will surpass Netflix. And with Disney, you not only get the power of Disney streaming is not only the streaming service, which is great, but it's the halo effect that it can benefit from the sale of merchandise, the yeah. trips to the um, plays on Broadway, theater, studios, TV shows, and the theme parks. They can capture it in so many other ways that Netflix cannot. So Disney, I say, look, 
thank God that Bob Iger came up with the Disney Plus idea before the pandemic because it did. Oh, save I know. Timing. Yeah, the timing. The pandemic. And uh, so they survived during the pandemic. They're going to thrive in a post-pandemic world because everybody wants to get back out. They want to go on the Disney cruises. They want to go on the to the theme parks. Um, so Disney is in the right place at the right time. And I mean, to be clear, it wasn't it wasn't all roses, right? I mean, I mentioned Hulu, which I I don't know what's going on there. They've they're losing subscribers three quarters in a row now. So, and you know, I pay for Hulu. I have no idea. They got great stuff, but I have no idea what's happening with Hulu. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was the world's greatest report. It was just surprising to me that the, that the Disney plus numbers were as good as they are. Especially, it was a great report. I did. Especially within the context of, of Netflix, who, who lowered the bar for themselves, and Roku, who lowered the bar for themselves. They came in in line. Fubo was strong, but I, I, I did not see the, uh, but I, I, you know, unfortunately, everybody always, always wants to focus on one data point, and Disney, as most companies, are just more than one data yes. point. Yes, that's a great point because three years ago, all anybody could talk about was, oh, Disney, uh, Disney, ESPN's in trouble. It's it, these carriage fees are so expensive. Now we were just talking earlier about all sports is going to go to pay per view. Yeah. Yep. We just. So yep. I mean, yes. Um, even if they don't go to pay-per-view and they go just to subscription and they only go on um, ESPN Plus. So the two biggest players, it looks like, are going to emerge for um, uh, games to watch are going to be Disney's ESPN Plus and Amazon. I mean, Amazon has made the NFL deal. I think they have the soccer deal. So um, those are the two. Uh, I mean, not. Soccer is globally the number most watched sport. Basketball is number two. Um, so there's people who still want to watch sports and um, you know go to sports, but uh, the opportunity for streaming sports is huge, especially if you want to follow teams on your home team on an away game. So there's a lot there, and Disney is so much more than streaming. And um, in fact, when Bob Iger introduced Disney Plus, he came out and he said he just took his grandchildren to see Cinderella. And he said that his grandparents had taken him to see Cinderella. When yeah, he was yeah. So five generations. Generational. Generational. Movie. And by the way, his grandchildren's grandchildren at some point will watch the original Cinderella. So the uh the law the staying power the the residency of their content is powerful i mean i, I am pretty old now and i remember going to the theater <laughs> in 1977 to see the original star wars and thinking that was the most incredible thing ever yeah, i didn't like star wars little kid going to see <laughs> star wars for the first time yeah. We're on the line with Ivan Feinseth. He's the chief investment officer at Tigris Financial Park Partners. Uh, one thing, I, I just want to note, I, I pulled up, I was looking at your site, and uh, you left something out on your profile. You said frequent guest on CNBC, Bloomberg TV, <laughs> and radio and Fox Benzinga. Business News, and you don't put Benzinga in there, Benzinga. Ivan? Sorry, there's a lot of actual. We have to update. We're not as been not as diligent as updating our website. Let's go, Ivan! Come on, you're too busy picking winners. And I I want to congratulate you. I like this type of show, and uh, I like the show where you're just talking about stocks and how it goes kind of in other directions that encompass the market, the stock, the stock of um, certain companies and what they do, and just what's going on in the world. So, Garmin, you made a call on Garmin a long time ago. And you, what are you thinking now? I mean, is it above your target? You still like it? What What do you think about target. Target? My report out the other day has a 12-month price target of 198, 12 months okay. from now. So let's say next August, 198. So there's still more to go. This company is just innovating. They are in the right place at the right time for um, aviation, for marine. Believe me, you can't get a boat, but everybody that's buying a boat wants Garmin um, Marine. Okay. Uh, radar and GPS on it. People love their Garmin smartwatches, their Garmin golf. Equipment. I should have got it. Some of the two things. Cars- two things before I let you go. Uh, yeah, one, stop. when is this market going down, and what's going to be the catalyst? Well, you know, the catalyst always comes from something we don't see. Okay. It comes out of nowhere. I mean, the big risk is the Delta variant or you know a, a lockdown. 
that derails the recovery. Okay. But what the support, everybody says, you know, we've gone for over a year with not even a 5% pullback because we've now been so conditioned to buy the pullbacks. And that has worked. So the more buying the pullbacks works, the more people will buy, have the buy the pullback reaction. And that will continue to support the market and drive it higher. I mean, there's so many strong tailwinds for the market, the great corporate results, the strong, you know, the economic recovery. Uh, and by the way, I think once the Fed does start to pull back, it will be positive because it will show the economy is strong enough to stand on its own. But I have one new stock I would like to talk about. That's sure. a tech stock called Owlette. This company makes... Symbol, please. What's the ticker on that? It's O-W-L-T. Okay, let's talk about it. They make... A, a high-tech baby monitor sock that monitors an infant's heart rate, pulse ox, temperature. It's really the high-tech connected nursery. They have a two-way two audio and camera monitor for the nursery. They are, are launching a telehealth platform for new parents. They are launching a pregnancy band for the mother that not only measures the mother's heart rate, but up to two infants or two fetuses, I'm sorry. Um, this company is going to be the, the go-to company when you have, when you hear somebody's pregnant, everybody's going to run out and buy them the Owlette smart sock. For those wondering, this was a SPAC, uh, SPAC that just finished the conversion last month from uh, Sandbridge acquisition to Owlette. So Owlette went public through the reverse merger into Sandbridge acquisition. So they got Sandbridge behind them, which has been a very successful asset management company. They got a great passionate management team and the concept for this came from the founders concern of a genetic you know generic heart issue that they wouldn't want because i mean um infant crib death is is the number one killer of babies and this is if you have any concerns this is a must-have this company is in the right place at the right time that almost you know every new expecting parent is going to be buying the owl at sock and I, I said to them, I said, it's so cool that it almost makes me want to have more kids because I love tech and <laughs> concept. Um, so, you know, check out the website and read about the company. And I think this is a great idea and a great company. And um, I think there's a lot of upside. They just uh, they're, they're had their quarterly results last night. They did just under $25 million in the quarter, do about $107 million in revenue for the year. They're projecting to grow to a billion in revenue by 2025. Help me with my AT&T here. I took a small position in it. It's even smaller now. I mean, it had that rip, and then they, uh, they you know, um, cut the dividend. I was thinking, give me 5 6 7%. And then, literally, I'd been saying that for, like, the last decade. And then I put a little a little position in it, and whoop. So, tell – I mean, they, they, they don't seem to capitalize on anything. And, of course, Kramer calling it the worst company in the world ever. I mean, they got the HBO. I mean, what – give me some hope. What do you think about AT&T? Most boring stock, but I'm in it. I want to know. I your actually thoughts. like the potential to reduce the dividend. They were targeting a 60% payout of cash flow. They're bringing it to 40, so maybe that uh, maybe the dividend was too high, and they said, "Well, they're paying out all their money in the dividend. They need to invest because the opportunity in 5G is huge." So maybe that's it. But one, I always say, nobody's cell phone bill is getting any smaller. We are using our cell phones more, and the five so much will the de- will be dependent on the 5G high-speed network. It's just what supports the whole Internet of Things. It's what will support autonomous driving. So I think that um, maybe this uh, change, the spinoff of their media properties into a separate company so the company itself can focus and the investors can focus on the return of returns generated from their wireless and wireline business while you still get the benefit of the media service because hbo max is doing well too there's a lot of great content there and by the way the streaming services are not a mutually exclusive game people will on average they say people consumers will have three services for up to 40 dollars a month which gives you a lot of content um so uh, there's room for everybody. You would know Netflix, Disney Plus, and HBO Max would put, would put you right there, and uh, we had less than forty dollars actually. Even if you got the whole, uh, okay. whole it would be about forty five dollars. But you know, not insurmountable. And 
you get a lot of content. In fact, uh, the biggest problem is you don't have enough time to watch all the content that you'd like to. But um, so I think the but 5G and wireless connectivity and this whole 5G upgrade cycle with Apple. You know, every time Apple is, comes out with a new phone, oh, that's going to be the peak. They said the iPhone 11 would be the peak. iPhone 12 is the peak. They've already projected a 90 million unit run rate on the iPhone 13, which is going to be announced uh, next few weeks up from the 75 million run rate of the 12. By the way, there's still a lot of people running around with iPhone 8s out there. The average iPhone in service is five years no, old. Joel. No, what did I get? I got something new, Spencer. I got rid of the five. Okay. I'm on the five. Uh, one more thing, I before I let you go. You mentioned Apple, right? And I get things stuck in my head, and I, and I can't get rid of them. And so I'm looking at Apple after earnings. Okay, great report, hit an all-time high. It's pulled back. Now, my technicals are saying, hey, holding 148 is very good here. So we can take out the 150. But it's like, where's, you know, they could get so much from the iPhones and the iPads and, you know, the iEarbuds and the iWatches and everything. But I think that Apple's next big push, and this could be huge, is Apple TV. And they got the eyes, right? And they got the ears, obviously, because people are listening. I think, and, I, and I'm doing not doing this much on, on much research, but I love Ted Lasso. Has anybody ever watched Ted Lasso? The show. That is the. I think that they're going to get in. I think they're going to get in this content arena, and they're going to take a little, you know, the little. They're already there, and you know, a little chunk from Disney, a little, you know, they already have. What am I saying? Is that that could be? Could that be a big catalyst for Apple, or am I just too Ted Lasso eccentric? All the services, but I'll tell you what's coming on Apple TV. Scorsese, De Niro, and DiCaprio's next big movie, which is coming out next year, called Killers of the Flower Moon. That is going to be a blockbuster. And uh, that could okay. be Catalyst. the Irishman. But uh, yes. So uh, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, you got De Niro, Scorsese, and DiCaprio. I already I read the book, Killers of the Flower Moon. I did the audio book, actually. I did, I did the audio book of um, I Hear You Paint Houses, which is what the Irishman was based on. Um, and uh, followed that movie for two years before it came out. Same thing with Killers of the Flower Moon. It's about the Osage Indians and the birth of the FBI. Uh, the uh, the first thing they was it the, was it the Irishman? Was that the first one? It was Pacino in that one? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Jimmy Hoffa disap- disappeared like a couple miles from my place. I heard we now. I we heard, look, we're still uh, looking for him. Yeah, I heard you're still uh, looking for him. Uh, yeah, I got some clues, but uh, okay. I haven't been I, able to follow through on I, it. I'm sure. Ivan Feinstein is the CIO of Tigris Financial Partners. Ivan, thanks a lot for coming on, as always. Thank thanks, you. Ivan. And I really enjoy being on. Thanks. All right. All right. Joel, get him on, on the uh, the bio page. Get him, Joel. Get him. Oh, that was good, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean there's no Benzinga on that I bio page? I looked at it. I'm like, I had to take off my glasses. number one on Benzinga. We've or just take all those others years. off. All right. Can we cover two stocks yeah, today? Yes, we yes, covered sure. one. No, we, we covered, covered Disney. We let's covered, go. We covered two. Uh, let's talk about SoFi. Uh, we streamed the earnings call last night. Seems like there was two groups of people that were that were in the chat. There was there was Group A that was um this is a fine report. This is an overreaction. Nothing to see here. Uh, There's Group B that was panicking. Why is it down? Why is it down? Why is it down? Um, you know, I am well on the stock. Honestly, I kind of was in Group Group A. It didn't seem that bad. We are still waiting on the bank charter. Uh, oh, wait, what did they say? Did they say end of year or did they say Q2? I don't remember. I think they said end of year. Pretty sure they said end of year. Um, on when they're going to get that the news on the bank charter. That's kind of the only thing that matters right now. Mm-hmm. Um, to my eyes, to my ears, it, it didn't seem bad. So what? Uh, you know, what does the chart say? Chart says better hold fifteen. Hasn't yeah, got to fifteen. Dude. There's all those lows there. I could get if you're not in it. You want to be in it. See how it reacts around fifteen. If you put all your money in it and you stop was fifteen fifty, then get out, reevaluate. Don't think about it. See what happens. Needs to hold fifteen, in my opinion. Uh, Airbnb. This one was this one was crazy after hours. Um, uh, here, here's what they said: their EPS beat, their sales beat. They said we expect Q3, which is the current quarter. We expect Q3 to be our strongest quarterly revenue on record, finishing well above. Q3 2019 levels. 
well above. Is what this is a tricky one. Look at that. I know. I want to own the stock. I've owned it once. I do want it. It's just evaluation. I just can't, you know, look at the, the market cap and you're just like, but you know what? It's, it's a great company, you know, and you got to pay up for great companies. And, you know, they, you know, we're always learning, you know, like I've always been kind of like growth at a reasonable cost. I'm trying to figure out if this is reasonable or not, but sometimes you just got to pay up. I mean, it's got a $91 billion market cap, which, you know, when you look at the hotel industry, if you're doing a comp on that, I mean, that market cap is huge, which means that you're paying for the growth. But the growth is there. The story is there. It's not going away. It works in COVID. It's a reopening. It's an, it's also a kind of a lockdown. I mean, the company, you know, has done a lot of things right, everything right, really. I kind of want to own the stock. I don't know if I have the reason for it yet, though. Get my timing right, Joe. Like, yeah, I don't where know. Where do I buy this? Gosh. Uh, I don't know where to buy it. Well, down at 130 was a great buy. I already <laughs> played it once, 135 to 150. I, I kind of want to buy it again, though. Uh, well, uh, well, first, let me talk about the resistance. And if there's anything that you learn from the show, and if you're a 4 a.m. trader, you see these reactions. You got a huge pop. And it went to 156.84. Now it's not perfect, but this high was one fit that high. Oh, that was uh 157.41. So you could have gotten done on that, but that that's history. There's buyers out there. I mean, they slammed it. Doesn't look like it's going back down to the pre-market low. I would not be surprised if this turned green on the day. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And where is unchanged on it? I mean, Dennis, it's, I mean, if you wanted, you know, put a little piece in maybe. And then if it goes down, put some Do the more Spencer in. Israel approach. Yeah. But you always yell at me when I put a little piece. I'm no, it's when you sell no, no, half, it's Dennis. It's when you sell half. It's when I buy half too, because you know why? That means I'm not convicted. Yeah. So it means I'm kind of like, you know, I'm in the middle. I can't decide. I'm usually in or I'm usually out. I'm not really one of these like, Buy 10%, buy okay. 10%, buy 10%. Here's what I'll say. The valuation is certainly a serious concern to have. Nosebleed. No doubt. No doubt. Mm-hmm. If this company can survive a pandemic, then wow. they're, I think they're okay. I think it's an alternative to hotels. I think, I think it's, a, it's a stay at home there was a brief and it's a reopening trip. There was a, brief moment, there was a brief moment last March where I – and I think Brian Chesky, who's the CEO, admitted this. Like They didn't know if – like they, 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 they thought they were going to die. Like the company, like they, they were, they were making, they, they laid off a bunch of people there. They, they had to raise a bunch of money. They were like, Oh my God, we're, we're really screwed. We're in, Who is this? This is Airbnb. They were in trouble. And then it, you know, it ended up happening is, you know, they, they turned it around. But I mean, I was scared for Airbnb. I didn't own the stock, but I was scared for Airbnb last March for sure. Yeah. Well, and we were scared made- for everything last March. I was scared on just the zombie apocalypse coming at us, <laughs> but I, I, you know, we've, we've seen that Airbnb can still thrive in an environment where COVID is running rampant, which, you know, makes you, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's still a reopening trade, but at the same time, like Joel says, it's kind of like a little bit of both. So I love the company. I, I, I just, I still can't wrap my head around the valuation, but I want to own it. I kind of want to buy this dip today, but you know, it worked on Etsy. I paid up for an Etsy valuation. You know, I bought it on earnings dip. Sometimes earnings dips continue to go down though. It doesn't always work. So I, part of me says wait for it to digest the move, but then part of me says this might just you know turn around and be you know turn around and rip higher too on the report. So I kind of want to own it. Maybe you do. Maybe you just buy half, like Joel was saying. I'm kind of wishy washy. I kind of want to own a piece. Maybe you do designate you buy half, and then it pulls down to one thirty, and you buy your other half. But if you're going in, you know, then you don't double down when it goes down to one thirty. You know, just like, like I don't want to break the rules I was just talking about, but. You're designating. I'm going to buy half today, and half of it gets back to 130. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, and I think you know, just a reasonable target too. I mean, who knows the path? It could go down and make a new low of the move. But for right now, that IPO, that washout at 120, looks like a good number. Of course, that high 220. Well, you know, why can't this stock not go back to 170, 171? Take back half of that move. I mean, the way these it's only 25 bucks away, and it's kind of bunching up on the monthlies. Maybe if you want to. Uh, pick it up on strength. Ooh, right near that pre-market high too, uh, 157.41. So you can buy it on weakness, buy it on strength. But to me, it just looks like you had the reps, people took some profits, you came down, and now it just 
kind of feels like a step up buyer, but I did, I did see a step up buyer in Clover yesterday. And I said, Oh, this guy's bidded it. And Dennis said, Oh, I think it's going to struggle at 10. And then as soon as he said that <laughs> the same sellers came out at 10 and never even saw that level. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I had a, just going on my own experience in Florida. Uh, I like it. It was great. It was a smaller unit. We've done Airbnbs a lot of times. Yeah, it was a small unit. All new stuff in there, except that the TV was kind of funky. It was hard getting the masters. Um, But, man, brand new stuff. It had a little pool. Easy to manage. You don't need, you know, 25 people working at the hotel. I mean, it's just, it's the, you know, we're going to have smaller airplanes and we're going to have smaller hotels. Yeah. And their take is just huge. I mean, it's the same. Uber and Airbnb are basically the same type of business. You know, Uber came in, yeah. disrupt the taxi ride industry. Airbnb comes in, disrupts the hotel industry. They have an app. They take a huge chunk, you know, like the margins are probably really good. I haven't looked at the margins, but I imagine they're, they're very good. And, you know, it's all just from putting, you know, the the two people together. Obviously, the person who wants to rent out their house and the person who's looking for a place to rent. I mean, the app does it all. Um, genius. I mean, just the way it works, the ease of it. Um, we've probably used Airbnb multiple times. I've got a friend that rents his house regularly um, on Airbnb, and he complains about the take. And, I mean, there is a huge take with it, which, you know, is nice if you're a shareholder. You so know, the thing um, is, is there's no competitors. There is no there's no it, it, and that's a question. It, is there gonna be or is it gonna VRBO. be like you had Uber, then he got left? Is somebody coming for there Airbnb? is this Verbo. Verbo owned by Expedia. It's been around longer. But anyways, hey but guys, that's that... a name. Like everybody is like all right, you got yeah, Google and you have some Bing, you know, have some competitors. You have Uber, yeah, you have Lyft, but it's still Uber. And yep. then you have Airbnb and you're gonna have some other competitors coming, but is it still gonna be Airbnb? I mean, at a certain point, it's a screaming buy. It's just at this point, you know, if this got down to a $50 billion valuation, I'd be like, yeah, 50. that's a buy. At a $90 billion valuation, it's like... It's tough. It's tough. It, 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 well, it's no. tough to wrap your head around the valuation. But if you can just ignore the valuation and say, is the story still intact? Yes, it is. Um, is the growth still intact? Yes, it is. Can this have the potential to get back to new all-time highs? I think it does. I don't know the path to get there. I don't know if it does for sure. Competition could disrupt that. Uh, but I like the story. I like Airbnb, the company. I'm wishy-washy on the stock at this price. Right, I got to hop. I'll right. let you guys finish it up. Yeah. Uh, hopping over pre-market prep plus to cover all these tickers. I think this is the least amount of tickers we ever covered. So yeah. hop yeah. over and we'll cover those symbols. Right. And uh, Spencer, I'll give you a call in a little bit. Everyone okay. have a great day. Be careful. Friday the 13th. Fifty billion in Airbnb would be in all time low, so I don't know if if you'd want to buy it there. But um, and then there was a great point in, in the chat. Uh, who I lost the comment. I'm sorry. ADWTX. Yeah, there is definitely some real regulatory risk as it relates to local local municipalities uh, and Airbnb. But, oh, that's a good one because yes. you know I was actually just driving. Um, we were we were driving in a nice area, and there's like you know on the water, Georgian yeah. Bay, and you're seeing like people who have million dollar houses. And then they have Airbnbs beside them. And people, there's signs all over those neighborhoods, you know, stop Airbnb. Like there's literally, because think about this. You buy yourself, you know, you're, you're, you're independently rich and you buy a million dollar property on the water. And, you know, you've got, you know, your hundred foot lot and it's hundred foot lots and you got this awesome. And all of a sudden, the person who buys a property beside you is running an Airbnb and you have parties there and all kinds of other stuff going on there all the time. How much would that be like, wow, I can't believe how much my neighbor has ruined my property. So that is, you know, a concern in, in some areas where they're doing Airbnbs and there will be municipality where, you know, there's people. There, there are. There, there, are. there is already some in, rules with that in, for in, sure. In New Orleans, they 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 made a they made a rule. They're like, you have to live in your house for the majority of the year in order to rent it. Like you, you the, cannot just buy a house and then rent it all the time. Same same thing with my father-in-law in St. Petersburg. He's got uh, two con. He's got a couple condos, and obviously, and he's Canadian, and uh, so yeah. he just rents these. But he has, you know, same issue running in there is that you can only rent for certain. He can't rent it all year. Yeah. There's certain times that he cannot, and that's because of Airbnb, and they don't want the neighbors, you know, that are just throwing wicked parties there, you know, in a retirement community. So that is a, that is a risk for Airbnb. Jason Razik said they almost bought a house this summer, I guess a, a vacation home, and the Airbnb went into the reasons as to why they they 
went into the calculation to rent it out. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And to those asking where Jason is, he's in the chat right now. We miss him. Tweet we never him. see Jason anymore. Tweet he's at there. Him. The Raz is there. He's hiding. He, he does so hiding. many things. He's so busy. Tweet you never at know him. where that guy is. He's so busy. Tweet at him. Add Jason Raz and tell him you, you miss him. You, you miss, him on, miss him on, the show. on our show. Uh, and he's we always welcome. looked forward to the Raz. He's welcome back. On. I have a calendar invite every Friday. It goes off at eight forty. Jason Razik on Premier Market Prep, and and then it, it it comes and goes, and um, I'm sad. So yeah, he's, busy. Uh, he's hard to get a hold of. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm gonna hop. Dennis, uh, have a great weekend. Have a great day. We'll see you on Monday. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. When everyone's on the same page. Getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.